Live from the Pacific Northwest, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. Real. True. Stories. May the narrative be with you. It's August 19th, 1996. I'm 56 years old. Paddling my kayak into the harbor at Port Hardy, British Columbia. I find a spot at the dock to tie up right behind the big cocktail barge, cocktail yacht, I should say. As I'm getting out of my boat, a fellow steps out on the deck. He's got a blue jumpsuit on. He looks down at me and he says, uh, you must be local. No, I said, I, I'm from the States. Oregon. <laughs> he says, so, so where are you paddling from? Campbell River. Takes a drink. You're fucking crazy. <laughs> and he walked away. And you're an asshole, I thought. <laughs> Come on. So there I was on Vancouver Island. I was 10 days into a 350 mile kayak trip around the north half of the island, up Johnson Strait, across the north side, around Cape Scott, down the west coast. West coast of Vancouver is often referred to as the graveyard of the Pacific. It can be pretty tricky. In the past several decades, a few dozen kayakers have tried that route, and a couple of them never got home. So why was I doing it, 56 years old? My dad had given me a real love for the outdoors, for being in wild places with wild things. And it stuck with me. I loved it forever. And I'd recently taken up kayaking. I loved fast boats. I loved paddling hard. I'd gotten fairly good at it. I competed in open ocean races. And I'd taken a guides course, actually a couple of them up in BC. And one of the instructors had talked about going around the outside and he planted the spark in me and I practiced and made up my mind that I was going to do that. So I prepared for this trip for a good year. I trained hard. I was paddling two or three hours a day. And when it came down to it, I had one of the best boats ever, a 19-foot-long, 21-inch-wide Kevlar kayak. I was ready to go. Leaving Portland was a bit angst-filled. I'd fallen in love with a lovely woman, Bethany, and had recently moved in with her and her four kids. That wasn't easy. (laughs) My sister was recovering from surgery from stage four colon cancer. But I had all their support, no matter what. Well, almost no matter what. When they found out that I wasn't planning on taking a marine radio on this trip, they weren't happy. They pulled the resources and bought one for me, and I thought about, you know, maybe that guy in blue was right. A little bit crazy. I launched from Rebecca Spit, and the water was gorgeous, clear. I could see all the rocks below me. It was a beautiful day. I was feeling good. I knew what I was up to. And within an hour, I realized I'd lost my glasses. I didn't need him to see far, but I sure needed him to see the 
charts in front of me to know where the hell I was going. I had a spare pair in the compartment up front, but I couldn't get at that until I landed. Fortunately, there was a sailor who lent me a pair. And, uh, but the real trick was that I'd lost the croquis, you know, the little deals around your neck that hang the glasses on. I had to weave that out of seaweed later on. The next morning, I found a really nice place to camp on a little bluff, and my kayak was uh, up on shore in, in a tiny little bay. Got up to load my gear, and because my kayak was so pretty, I'd moved it out into the water so I wouldn't scratch it moving it off the rocks. When I came back with the second load, the kayak was about 30 feet out. <laughs> Time for a brisk swim. God, I felt like a fool, you know? I planned for a year, I had all my shit together, but clearly it wasn't, it wasn't. <laughs> the next four days up, up Johnson Street were hell. The weather was terrible, snotty, wind in my face, rough water, terrible places to camp. But on the fourth day I turned the corner and, and rounded Camp Point and there was a beautiful pebble beach that was gently sloping, gorgeous place. I landed my boat there and I just flopped out of it and lay back spread of eagle on the, on the rocks, absorbing the sun. It was the first sunny day I'd seen. My hands were bleeding, blistered, and sore. I was feeling pretty beat up, and I was having second thoughts about all this. I was wondering if this was really the right thing, if I really was prepared as I thought I was. A skiff landed on the beach, and a fellow came up to me and introduced himself. He said, I'm Patrick. Quagillies, salmon fisherman. We chatted, he laughed when he saw my boat up behind, it was tucked up behind a log on the berm. He said, you know, we're sitting out in the boat, looking at your tent, seeing you. How the hell did that guy get there? There's no boat, the mountains behind go up to 3,000 feet and there's no, no trails through the mountains. Patrick came back the next day and gave me a big jar of salmon that his mother had smoked for him and he said to me, Keep this outside your tent at night so the bears don't come in and sleep with you. And watch out for Kelsey Bay. I knew a little bit about Kelsey Bay. I'd read about it in the Marine Hazards book, so I timed my crossing through there to make sure I was going at slack water. Off I went. Things were not bad. 15 knots, small craft advisories, but I can take that. Paddle on, and as I'm going, the waves get bigger and bigger. You know how sometimes you get into something and it, it's gotten really bad before you even know that you're in the shit? <laughs> the waves were up to four or five, six feet. They were breaking and they were confused waves. They're coming at you from every direction. My body was in charge of the boat at that point, staying upright, keeping going, moving. In my head, I was writing my obituary. The body was found washed ashore. The body was found washed ashore. I kept running that one line over and over and over again. And as I think back on it, I think it was a, became a mantra for me, a way to calm myself as I was working through this deal. Obviously, I got safely to shore. By the time I had a cup of tea, the water was flattened out again, and off I went. Five or six days later, I was back there in Port Hardy, where I met the man in blue. Turned the corner around into the north on the north side of the island, and for the first time I met the swells of the open ocean coming in. I was in Queen Charlotte Sound. 
Right before I got to Cape Scott, I stopped at a small beach, camped there for the night. A ranger came up to me and said, uh, we've been following your travels around the island, the crew and I. And I was wondering, would you mind if I joined you tomorrow paddling around Cape Scott? I said, no, not at all. You know, there's a bunch of sea lions out there that are real aggressive, real aggressive males. I've been afraid to go around there by myself, but maybe two of us together would be, it'd be good. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good to me, sure. <laughs> Let's do it, let's do it. So in the morning he showed up and off we went and, and he was right, those bastards were there. I mean, they're big sea lions. They pushed themselves up out of the water to, you know, mid-chest height, a big animal there, snapping their teeth, real mean, but they never got closer than 10 feet maybe, maybe 12 feet. And as soon as we passed through their territory, we done it, they, were, they left us alone. Circled the Cape, landed, took a break, and Gerald opened a can of tuna fish and handed it to me and said, drink the juice, drink the juice first and then eat the meat and don't spill any. I knew I was protein deprived and I wondered how, much, how bad I looked for him to realize that. Just a couple days before, I, I, I chased a little Dungeness crab in the shallow waters. I wanted him, I caught him, threw him in the, my tea water that was cooking, just enough to slow him down. Then I ate it. <laughs> Shell, guts, and all. And it was good. <laughs> Gerald suggested I just cruise gently down the coast, take my time. But it was a perfect day. It was a glorious day. And these big rolling swells and the sunshine and the light breeze. I just hauled ass. 35 miles I paddled that day. A long day. Turned into Grant Bay, made camp, and kind of reviewed the situation. Okay, I've, I've gotten over that rough patch at, at the front of this trip. I'm feeling good about myself. I'm skilled. My hands are feeling good. I'm in good shape. I'm in good shape and time. I'm set up to meet Bethany on September 13th three weeks away. Everything looks good. But I know I've kind of beat myself up that day, so I think I'll take a rest day tomorrow. I'll paddle into Winter Harbor. It's nearby, seven miles away or so. Paddle in there, grab a beer. I don't know what they got, a burger, if there's a place for that. Easy day. Get back here by mid-afternoon. So in the morning, I put all my gear, <clears throat> unload my boat, put all my gear in the tent. I've just got minimal survival stuff, plus one to eat, I've got one uh, homemade energy bar, I call the med bar. And off I went, fears a lark, let's go. Headed for Winter Harbor. And I paddled a fair ways and was looking for this entrance. You know, I heard it was a little bit of a tricky entrance. I don't see it, and I, I paddled far enough so I know that I've gone past where I ought to be, so I turn around and come back and go up this inlet. And I see that it's blind, there's no, nothing up there. Turn around again and think, okay, well, maybe I was too far out to see. So now I'm hugging the shoreline pretty tight, thinking there might have been an angled entry that I'd missed somehow. And I paddled, and I paddled, and I paddled, and I paddled, and I paddled. I was getting frustrated, was, you know, what the hell's going on here? I'm, I'm getting mad at myself, but just frustrated that this simple day is turning out not to be quite so simple. I finally get up to a point where I see a couple of guys fishing and I 
asked them, they said, hey, where's the entrance to Winter Harbor? They looked at each other and they said, shit, man, it's 12 miles back that way. Yeah. I turned around and, and now I was getting steamed. I, I pulled up and landed on shore. I took out my charts for the first time. I took out my charts, laid them out on the rocks, looked at them, got out my compass and said, okay, I need to take a bearing. I need to find out where I am find some location points, some landmarks, fix my position. And I worked at it. And I couldn't, I couldn't find anything. What the hell's going on? And then I came to the startling real conclusion. The charts are wrong. <laughs> yeah. You think it's funny, but I meant it. Well, Clearly, the charts are wrong. Every mariner knows that the charts can save your life, and they'll kill you if you don't pay attention. I've flown gliders, you know, airplanes that don't have motors in them. You know, if you don't follow your charts and believe your instruments, you're going to die. I'd lost my mind. I was completely unhinged. I don't even know what I was thinking when I left the beach there and started paddling on. I think I was probably just headed back for camp. I figured I'd make it back there. But shortly, I realized I was too beat. I couldn't make it back. I think that was a, you know, a little bit of sanity coming back. I knew I couldn't make it any farther. I found a place to pull into a little cove. I'd been on the water at this point for over six hours, paddling hard. Pulled into this cove, figured, okay, I can find a tree to shelter behind and spend the night a night's sleep and I can probably get my mind back, figure out how to get out of this. A little runabout boat pulled in with a young couple fishing. I thought, one last shot. So I hopped in my kayak and paddled out. Where, where's, where's the entrance to Winter Harbor? I was croaky by that time. I was about spent. The guy said, oh, it's right up there. Oh, man, no way. Yes, the lady charming redhead named Bonnie. I said, yeah, it's up there, and it looks like it's a dead end. Looks like it bars up, but it doesn't. You go all the way to the end, and there's a little dog leg to the right. takes you right to Winter Harbor. God, I've been up there, but I hadn't seen it. And you know how you get that burst of energy when you've, you think you're at the end of your rope, but you see the finish line? That happened. I said, okay, I can make it. Another hour to Winter Harbor. Hit the dock there, asked the salmon fisherman where the, if there was a bed and breakfast in town, he just looked at me, Jesus Christ, man, you look like you've been at sea a long time. <laughs> it's been a rough day. <laughs> but I found the B&B and a lovely couple there fed me a great dinner and gave me a hot shower and a place to sleep. The next day I continued my journey, I had three more weeks to go down the coast. I had a lot of rough experiences. There were moments of real danger, moments of fear and apprehension. And I, and I know I made a bunch of stupid mistakes along the way, but I never lost my mind. On the last day out, I was feeling really ambivalent about this whole deal. I was eager to meet Bethany, but I hated to end the trip. I couldn't stand the idea of leaving behind all the wildness I had been with, the, the whales. I'd, I'd, I'd been eyeball to eyeball with a gray whale eight feet away. 
looking at each other. I'd had numerous bear encounters. I'd had a wolf walk around the outside of my tent. He could have pissed on it if he'd wanted to, but he just left big prints. I didn't want to leave. And as I'm sort of lackadaisically paddling along, it's windy, rainy, salmon trawler's coming up the other way in this channel, and he's coming at a pretty good clip, gets up a beam of me and shuts down the throttles, opens the door. Sorry for waking you, man. I paddled over to him and said, no, it's not a problem that wake. <laughs> we got to chatting. He said, I'm, I'm Peter John from Ahusat. I knew Ahusat. It's a First Nation village on Flores Island. And they're known for being very private people. We talked for a while. He was interested in the places I'd been. He knew some of them and wanted to know what I'd seen there, whether there was logging going on, which was a real threat. After a while, he said, hang on a minute. He went back into his boat and came back with a gorgeous, gorgeous, bright salmon and handed it to me. He said, here, this is to honor your trip. I was, I was really moved and, and I was fumbling for words. I said, thank you, thank you. Uh, what can I do for you? Is there something I can send you from the States? Fortunately, he wasn't bothered by my fumbling around. He said, no. No, we're fine. Just tell the story of your trip and of meeting Peter John of Ahusat. And so, Peter John, <laughs> here you are. That's the story. And thank you again for your generosity and thanks to all those people that turned my solo kayaking trip into an adventure supported by the gifts of so many wonderful people.